Baruchim Abayim, and welcome to Torah Talks Chazak's Tuesday night program with special guests. Tonight we have others, Rav Lior Dehan Shlita, Baruch Haba, Rav, how you doing? Baruch Hanitzah, I'm doing awesome. Yishtabach Shmulad, what an honor to have you on our program. Thank you very much for all that you do, and uh, big, big schut to have a Torah Talk with you. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> our Minhag's custom is to start off with a little bit of a bio, a little bit of background with the rabbi, the great work you're involved with. Okay, so first of all, I actually was born and raised in Los Angeles. The Valley of Los Angeles, okay. beautiful area, nice mountains, surrounded, very good weather. And uh, I grew up there. I went to pretty much the Garden Variety High School. Nothing, uh, you know, out of the ordinary. Valley Torah High School. <clears throat> it was a great place for me. I got close to the Rabbanim there. I developed a relationship. At first, honestly, I was not even thinking along the lines of going to Yeshiva. That really? wasn't like my mindset. I remember one time my friend telling me that we had a conversation and we were in the back of the car. My mom was driving us back from school and the conversation went like this. It went, yeah, I said, I'm not uh, planning on going to Yeshiva. I don't know why all these rabbis are talking about Yeshiva, Yeshiva. I'm going to go to UCLA mm-hmm. and I'm going to get really good grades because I was a good student and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make a lot of money. Ooh, uh. And my mother hears the conversation and she says, no, you have to go to yeshiva. And uh, she turns to my friend, his name is Moshe. She says, Moshe, wow. don't listen to him. Because he's going to go to yeshiva and he's going to become a big rabbi. Wow. <laughs> so she Jewish knew better mother. than Kala I did. After I finished high school, so I went to one year, I went to Eretz Yisrael. And I learned in Yerushalayim, in Sanhedria, in Yeshiva's Chafetz Chaim. So I actually came back to the high school to say hi to the Rebbeim after that first year. And one of the people I said hi to was the college counselor at the time. Mm. And uh, she looks at me. She says, you went to Yeshiva for a year? I was like, yeah, and I'm planning to go for longer. She's like, oh no, they got you too. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yep. Baruch Hashem. And uh, that pretty much, I went another year to Eretz Yisrael. I was there for about... I was there for a few months. I couldn't really stay for longer because officially I'm Israeli. My parents were born in mm. Israel. So then I had to come to Miami. I went a little bit to Miami. I went a little bit more. I learned in base management in Los Angeles and also, uh, of course, in New York. And that's where I did most of my learning was in uh, Chavetz Chaim of New York. And most of my development, of course, and growth, uh, that was like a big part of, um, of my studies. Right. I think that more than just the studies element of it, like sort of the bio element of it, what probably shaped me the most was actually, uh, in terms of values, in terms of understanding uh, my place in the world, it actually had a lot more to do with the show and oh, the wow. community. And because we had something that was very special for a long time, it didn't last throughout my high school, but certainly in the beginning years of my life, I was part of a community it felt like you were in Israel. It's, it's just like people would walk into my house, my friends, and it's like, wow, this, is, this reminds me of Israel. This is like the whole atmosphere. My parents very much, they grew up in Israel. They spoke Hebrew. The home was always Hebrew, always people coming in. And the shul was a very, very close-knit shul. And there was like a, it was like a golden age where I grew up with great friends and, and really good influences and, and developed a lot of... Um, pride in what I was and my identity and being Sephardic and especially I, I'm 
Iraqi. My grandparents actually are from Iraq, from both sides. So it's a very unique type the of Sephardiyah, the tradition of the Ben Ishchai and Chacham Ovadiyah. And there's like an added element to that, to, that, that there was something special about that. And I always grew up loving it and appreciating it a lot. And that sort of, um, that highlighted my, my course along the way. It was almost like I never wavered from that because that's always been who I was. And to a certain degree, it really shaped my values in terms of, in our Bita Knesset, in our community as well. Because in the Bita Knesset, uh, a lot of the times in, in, in uh, the culture today, what we, do, what we have is we have places that the shul is a place to pray. And, and we view the schools as sort of the institution that teaches culture and, te- and educates, of course, obviously, that's, that's right. definitely true. But to a large extent, we can never overlook culture and becoming uh, Jewish, not just in, in law, but in, in value and in appreciation and, and in care and in the dynamic where we want to be. And to mm. give that over to the kids. The kids need the Jewish culture. Like, well, that, that includes a lot of things. For me, it was about learning songs and developing a love for that and developing a connection to the beautiful tunes of, of, of Am Yisrael that have really been with us for a very, very long time. Yeah, and to connect to that, connect the next generation to that. And then the reading of the Torah was another, like small examples, but it would become a thing. It wasn't just like you went ahead and you learned with someone. You got a group together and you really? would learn together and you would, and you would drive 20 minutes, 25 minutes to go to a, a good Rav that knew how to teach it. And it became a whole event. And that really was what shaped your, shapes your life, maybe more than anything else. And I think like, an organization which really I would have started with the Chazak organization is, is, is an incredible thing because what a lot of times what, what's missing is that, is that sort of give me a Shabbaton, give me a way to connect. People are looking for emotions and, and to be able to give that over, it really fills up the soul and then you just want to do. It's not just something that's being taught to you as the right thing to do becomes your identity. Mm-hmm. I remember one time there was a bar mitzvah in our show. And it's going back in Los Angeles? No, this or is the current this is here. When there was a bar mitzvah in, uh, in uh, New York, and I spoke about if a person wears a kippah, because he has to wear a kippah, he's very easily going to take off that kippah if he doesn't feel that he has to anymore. Mm-hmm. If he views Torah and mitzvot as his identity... Nobody wants to shed their identity. Nobody wants to shed who they are. As parents, our responsibility is to make the Torah not something you do, but make it a part of who you are. And that has to be more than, uh, in our generation, certainly it's very difficult for people to connect straight, simply just Torah mitzvot, in a sort of sense, flavorless. It has to be done with tam and with love and with smiles and and with programs and with things that connect a person, so they feel they belong in here. A hundred percent. We're big into shmitach shelolishma, balishma. Yeah, from sometimes they come for the wrong reasons. You know, whether it's the nash or the, yeah. the food, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, the Torah is going to connect the person, yes. and he's going to cleave into it. But, uh, but even even if it's not uh, to that extreme, the chazak definitely is. That's the the motto, and that's the part because you're dealing with a broader audience. But inside a shul, it's not even in the category of shelolishma. Like the, the, the concept of singing and a developing an emotional connection with the is part and parcel of the entire Torah. When we say, uh, you know, some people, especially from a more yeshiva background, you say to yourself, okay, what's the, 
Avodat Hashem. What, what are you supposed to do to serve God? It's the name of the show, no? Yeah, that is the name <laughs> of the show. <laughs> 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 plug in. Avodat <laughs> Hashem, the, the, the service a person has to do for God. If you ask people in yeshiva, a lot of times, they'll say, yeah, of course, Talmud Torah. Learning, learning, learning. You learn, Talmud, and that's your connection to HaKadosh Baruch And that's absolutely true. Of course that's true. There is HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose Am Yisrael, HaBucher, Bisrael, he chooses Am Yisrael and Habucher Bat Torah and Yisrael Amor. He chooses God chooses the Torah and Am Yisrael. Yes, but also that there's another Habucher. Hakadosh Baruch says, "I chose Bishire Zimra in the singing." And Hakadosh Baruch says, "This is Avodat Hashem. This is worshiping God, and that's worshiping God." You connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Who is greater than David HaMelech? David HaMelech was the greatest man that there is. He was a person that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loved him. He was devoted to God. And what was his sort of claim to fame? It's Tehilim. Tehilim. What's Tehilim? It's Shirot V'Tishpachot. It's songs. It's praises to God. It's, it's the Kinor of David. That's, that's the whole uh, essence is that emotional bond and what happens is, and a lot of times in today, in today's day and age, what the the culture itself creates a sort of attachment to it. It creates an emotional bond to it, and our our culture is a hundred times better. It's not the comparison. <laughs> culture of Torah, the beauty, the the realism. It's like what they teach you in the world as how you're supposed to be proud of things that literally have nothing to do with you. You're supposed to be proud of the amount of money you earned. You're supposed to be proud of your IQ. These are literally things that God decided on day one what you're going to be able to do and not able to do. And that becomes you. That identifies you. The Torah has a value system that's so far deep and beautiful and, and really emotionally stimulating but we're not giving over the message to the fullest extent that we could be. And that's sort of, I saw that in my life. I was lucky enough uh, to have that siyata dishmaya, that divine providence, where God simply went ahead and uh, and gave it to me in, in ways that I never chose it. It just kind of became part of me. But I find that to be a big part of my upbringing and sort of my perspective is to bring that to the next generation and to the future of Am Continue. So the topic is tapping into death. The rabbi can maybe give a little bit of an explanation, uh, you know, define uh, what, what uh, depth is. Depth, yes. And this is so missing in the world. The world today has become a place of extreme superficialness. Just everywhere you turn, you find a sort of a glitter that is then under the surface is hollow, yeah. is empty. A uh, lot of sugar coating everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> and there's, there's an ama- amazing story about a, a father and a son. His son was about bar mitzvah age, and this was in Eretz Israel, it was in Israel. The son wanted to go to what in Hebrew is called a Luna Park, mm. which is a amusement it's a, park. It's also in English, no? Luna yeah, they, park. Call it, they call it in English, too. Amusement park, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> My first language is Hebrew. <laughs> so How do you say ketchup in Hebrew? Litfos. Ketchup, ketchup. Oh, ke- ketchup. Yeah, ketchup. <laughs> <is like that. laughs> ketchup. They, all the sophisticated words in Hebrew are actually English words. I remember when I was a kid, I went to my cousins in Israel. And I was looking, they had like uh, the equivalent of an SAT. Right. 
And one of the subjects is is um, is a Hebrew vocabulary, like a sophisticated level. So I'm looking at the words, and like some of the words, I really didn't know what they were. I had no idea. But I, like most of the words, I know them. What is, this is all English. <laughs> I know this word. <laughs> Philosophia. <laughs> I know Philosophia. <laughs> it's an English word. He just took yeah. it and translated it into Hebrew. So yeah. So the Luna Park you're saying there. Yeah. So back to the Luna Park. So now the father decided that he's going to take his son to the to the amusement park, and they go on one of the rides. It says before they go in, it says the roller devil roller coaster, some some name like that. Scary, supposed to be like a horror roller coaster. So they the son looks at the father, father looks at the son, like as if to tell him, "You sure you want to go?" Son says, "Yeah, yeah, it looks good. A picture of this witch." So they go on the, uh, they start the ride, and sure enough, the lights are off, and there's this like silence, and all of a sudden you hear screeches, and the ride's slowly progressing, and the son and the father already is starting to get a little bit more scared, and they see a ghost pop out of nowhere, and they're intimidated, <laughs> and then all of a sudden shrieks, and a witch, and like the son is about to start crying, it's like so frightening for him, and the father as well. He, he started, like, having his heart beating. Oh, a few minutes later, you know, after all the drama, the ride ends. They leave the ride. The son goes like this. He realizes his must have, kippah must have fallen off. His, his, no, he can't find it anywhere. He turns to his father, Abba, my, my kippah, I don't know where it is. And the father is like, okay, it probably fell off on the ride. Let's go. The guy, the conductor, is he's over there. Let's ask him. In Israel, it's a little bit more uh, Hamish. It's not exactly as official. So they go, they say, uh, excuse me, his, my son's kippah fell off. It's probably in the ride. Can we go check and see? And he says, sure, not a problem. Uh, the next ride is going to start in five minutes. You have a few minutes. Let's go. So this time they went on the ride a second time in reverse. Mm. But this was a little bit different. Because now the conductor, he turns on all the lights. Mm. And all of a sudden, all of the ride that they saw ghosts and intimidating images and witches and demons and all these things, with the lights on, he sees there's wooden walls, <laughs> cobwebs, the ghosts are no ghosts, it's just a rag on top of some stick, and the mops are the witches, and he starts seeing none of this was real. All was looked at, you felt it, you felt emotions, you felt... It, it, you, you were captivated. They almost and cried. Then the lights are turned on, and everything is revealed. You see, and the kid found the kippah, but the ride was never the same for him. The lesson that he learned from it is: sometimes we live in darkness. We live in this world where we don't know better. You know, a lot of people don't have the education of the Torah, don't have the experiences that me and you share. And to them, the darkness is reality. Wow. It's reality. And to that, yeah, what do you mean? The person needs to get a job. He needs to go ahead and earn panasa. That's, that's my pride. That's my uh, investment and, 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 and how smart I am and how good I look. And that defines me. That's who I am. And this is in darkness. And then when you start sharing light and you say, hey, there's a nishama, you have a soul. And that's who you are. And that soul is much greater than all of these things that you view as accomplishments that really are predetermined. And your true accomplishment is your fear of God 
and your ability to influence other, other people's lives and your ability to grow and succeed, that's who you are. That's what defines you. And that's what gives you. You're a piece of God. You're part of God. You're godly. You're, you have divinity inside of you. And then you start explaining, appreciate yourself and understand you're not just cheap. You're, you're not just an animal. You're not, you're not a nothing in this world that's just coming and going. Your value cannot be measured with, with these physical labels. Then people start seeing light. Mm. And then the light of the neshama is able to emerge. And from that, it really imbues a person with strength, with courage, with might, with the ability to stand strong and to be able to, to be courageous against the tides that we're facing today. I mean, they're powerful. You can't go ahead and fight fire with, with no energy. You got to fight the fire with the fire. If you're not going to come at it with that koach, you know, this is about uh, the Chafetz Chaim. He mentions about Im Lavan Garti, the Tariag Mitzvot Shamati, very famous. Uh, Yaakovinu says, I was uh, in the house of Lavan, and I kept all 613 mitzvot. And the Chafetz Chaim says, Im Lavan Garti, you have to learn from the tactics of Lavan how to battle. And sometimes, uh, I think they say this in the name of the Brisker Rav, uh, the reason why a lot of the times that the detractors, even from amongst our nation, we have probably some of the most bitter enemies. You look at the politics in Israel today, <laughs> is from our own nation, and Very a sad. lot of times they're successful because they fight uh, through the usage, really, of sheker beemit. There, it's a lie what they're fighting for, but they are emit about it. They're honest. They believe it to the bottom of their core. And we fight the, for the emit sometimes with sheker, mm. meaning we don't fully believe. We're holding the emit. We're holding the truth. But we don't always fight with that same passion. And that sometimes is because we don't have that emotional. It's just kind of like, this is what we were told is the right thing to do. This is what we were told is the best thing to do. But we don't feel it in our bones and we don't get inspired by it. And we're not emotionally connected. And that is a, is, is a losing battle. If you don't have that, if you don't come in with giving a person a full package of what the Torah represents and what the values behind the Torah and why the, there's beauty. I'll give one small example yeah, uh, in, the, in the real world. Like I one time asked uh, a about dating age crowd, I guess 20 to 25-ish. I said, why get married young? The world doesn't say to get married young, right? The world says, Go ahead, build yourself your career, wait until you're 27, 28, 35. Like, who knows? It's already gone to a point that's crazy. <laughs> I said, tell me, what's the reason to get married young? Why do, why do we, Amisai, say you get married young? Bench one, I said, 20 years old, okay. I think 18 years old, it used to be that 13 was bar mitzvah and 18 was marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, today it's 18 is bar mitzvah and maybe 22 <laughs> is uh, marriage. In America, at least. In America, it's yeah, a little it's bit less, uh, uh, a li- less uh, on the maturity level as uh, you see in Israel, kids walking on the street. Oh, wow. Very, very it's different. Very, every time I go to Israel, I'm amazed at the little <laughs> three, four year old pushing the carriage for the one, two year old. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very different experience. It does. It inspires you. You say, wow, wow. But then you have to hold yourself back. Your, your kids are different. <laughs> yeah, They're raised in America. America. It's not the same thing. You can't compare. It's different culture. But I ask them that question. I say, what's the reason? So, you know, if they're, if they're in Torah, then they'll say, well, there's such a thing called hirurim. You're not supposed to have bad thoughts. Mm. And, um, and uh, that's avera. It's sin. 
It's true. It is true. Absolutely, it's true. But I said, think of it from this perspective. A person lived 35 years. Let's say we take their philosophy, right? The philosophy. Get married at 35. For 35 years, what have you been training yourself to do? To think what is convenient and best for me. Me. Me, myself, and I. By the time you're 35, you're not going to be able to easily change that perspective. You're going to be living a life of selfishness, and within that context, you're married. So the marriage will, by definition, be about you and what I can get from it. And it'll be very hard to overcome that. It's not impossible, but it's just you, you start behind the eight ball. Torah says, get married young, when it's still fresh, when you're still you know, molding yourself. And that way you already incorporate the other into your life. And then you can give, and you can be a giver. And, and that me definition just got expanded to another person. And therefore you can be a full and complete individual. That's something that you could go a whole lifetime and live and do and say, no, you got to get married young and not really fully get the, and appreciate the depth of why we're doing it. And when you see that depth, that is light onto darkness. <laughs> that is something that opens your eyes and say, wow, a whole world is thinking in one direction and every single one of them is missing the boat <laughs> because it comes back to the same point. Your value is not defined by the physical accomplishments but by the nishama and the ability that you have to give over to others. And when that's your perspective, you'll see things in a completely different light. Mm-hmm. And that's beauty that, that, that frees the person. 100%, definitely. Powerful, powerful, Rabbi Dahan. Yeah. Uh, you said about uh, the concept of the chatan and uh, the, the, the giving and with the other. I heard once something very, very nice. We all know the breaking of the cup and the chuppah is the uh, zecher of the churban of the Bet HaMikdash, the destruction of the Holy Temple. But I heard once something very, very nice, which is that the cup is a vessel, the kli for receiving. And the chatan is coming to break that vessel because he's not going to be a receiver, but he's going to be a giver. Oh. <laughs> <So> <laughs> That's how, nice, but you can use the cup to give too. <laughs> I like that. The twist. Very, 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 very nice, Rabbi. But if we go on the topic of giving, you know, Rabbi was saying how we're going to remove the darkness and, and, and the light's going to come forward. Uh, that's for an individual. How does an individual bring light onto others? For example, a person might be, another person might be in darkness, whether a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, whoever it may be. What suggestion do you have towards giving towards others light oh, okay. and depth? So number one, it's impossible to be able to give something that you're not having ah, yourself. So first you have to, so have, first you have to lead by example. You cannot do it without, if you don't believe in it passionately, that our Torah is the greatest truth, and is absolute wisdom of, of divineness, and is every other system of religion or, or ism that exists, is absolutely bankrupt. It has no basis in truth in relationship to the Torah. It's like a statue in relationship to a real human being. They could both be still, but one is alive, mm-hmm. and one is nothing. He's dead. There's no movement inside of it. If you don't fully, firmly believe that, you certainly won't be able to give it over because there is communicating in words and there's communication in passion and in, in real belief and real m- mission. And it's a responsibility for every single person to be that, that fire of Torah. 
Now, with that knowledge, with that, you, you have the ammunition. You have it in yeah. you. Once you have it in you, you, in you, you have it. First of all, in terms of messages, the, 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 what, so the, on the basic level, people will see. People are not foolish. People see what's going on in the world, divorce rates, suicide, uh, therapies. These things are in the billions, if not trillions of dollars. The U.S. government invests billions billions of dollars on uh, medicines that have to do with antidepressants and things like that. It's staggering a culture that has so much in terms of physicality, in terms of materialism, that should have such a fate. So people know that. People see that. And then they look at the Torah and they see the beautiful lives and the very fulfilling and, and how amazing it is. By and large, by and large, Am Yisrael is chay kayam is is alive and functioning and Vibrant, and is doing well. great. And when and the situations that we're not is because we haven't fully developed that immune system against the attacks, the, the onslaught, simply an onslaught of what's going on to the world is trying to in all ways. It's like it's like if you have a, a house right and it has one hole. If there's a flood around. It's going to come in. Like Even a small uh, vulnerability in the shield is going to seep in. And that's why it's so difficult. It's not like we're, we're trying our best. But, but at the end of the day, yes, there are going to be uh, flaws and there's going to be things that seep in. But it's only because of that that Amisad is not even on a higher level than we already are. And uh, to, to first understand that and to lead by example, I think that's number one. When people see that, they respect that. Number two is that when you see that there is um, that there is people that are sort of missing the right perspective, to find a way to talk to them on a level they can understand, on what they resonate with, and what what lives with them. And sometimes it's not a direct conversation. The opposite. It's it's a hug. It's a I understand you. It's it's going and really connecting with them on an emotional level, which which is a bridge. Right. What's an emotional connection? It's a bridge. Now you have a bridge you could transport mm-hmm. information, values, and there's appreciation. Beautiful. If you did not build a bridge, you're not going to be able to really have receptivity. Mm-hmm. You might scare them. It might be temporary. It won't, it won't be long-lived. And this applies obviously to children as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. With parenting, um, it's, it's its own set of challenges, but that's, that's exactly right. If you don't have passion, if you don't have a drive, if you don't have a mission... For what you're doing, then you're going to have a very difficult time parenting in 21st century. And that, that's it. If the Torah becomes dry, it just becomes a set of rules without rhyme and reason. This is the whole idea of the Sefer HaChinuch. The Sefer HaChinuch is, is, a, is a book that was written around a thousand years ago. And it wasn't coming, the whole idea of the book wasn't coming to say, this is the reason of a mitzvah. The reason why God commanded this because... There's multitudes of reasons for everything Amazing. that God commands. And they're all true. But it is to give you a flavor. Because if you do something without understanding, you're just simply not going to have your heart involved. And this is a great chidush where Moshe Feinstein says. There's a drash Moshe. Right? He wrote a sefer yeah. Chumash, And he says, there was Cain and there was heaven. Now, Cain brought a koban, heaven brought a koban. Amazing. Who taught who? Most people say heaven, yeah, he Kain taught Hevet how to bring a koban. Hmm. It was his innovation. Yes, it was brought before, but but the, the way it was done, in the structure that it was done, it was the innovation of Kain. Hmm. And then you say to yourself, wait a second. He invented the concept? He taught it to Hevet? 
And then Hevel did a Koban that was amazing, and yeah, Kain yeah. did this shoddy mm-hmm. job, like half big. You, your idea, the guy with the idea always does it the best. So Moshe Feinstein explains. He says, Kain was on the money on an intellectual level. He was on the money. He said, very simple. If I go ahead and I invest time and energy and, and all my strength, and I made this amazing um, uh, gadget, and I say, Rabbi Meirov, I spent so much time and energy on this. I want you to have it. <laughs> now you take it, right? And you say, thank you so much. And then you go proceed to the closest trash bin okay. and you throw it into the <laughs> trash. Is that appreciating the work that I did? No, it's not. So Kain said, very simple, God doesn't need my gift, right? So the idea of a koban, I'm bringing it for myself. Mm-hmm. That's true. I'm bringing it for myself. But what should I bring if I'm doing it for myself? If I bring the best of the best, I'm taking the goodness that God gave me from this world and basically disposing of it. That doesn't show appreciation to God's work. That doesn't show that I value the gift. Because if I take the best of the gift and I get rid of it, then I'm essentially saying I don't really appreciate it to the fullest level. So he said, I'll bring the simplest thing to show God how much I value the present that he gave me, which is this world. That was the math, which is a beautiful logic. It's, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's like it's like ironclad. And you say, okay, so so where, where did he go wrong? And why is, why is Heaven doing something differently? And the answer is because a person is not just a computer. He's not just a mind. And okay, mathematically, this is what needs to be done. There is a heart. <clears throat> and Heaven is saying, look... I hear, I see what you're saying. You want to be appreciative and you don't want to go do this and you have all these calculations. Bottom line is, my heart cannot allow me to give a small gift to God. I have to, I have to. doesn't make sense. Okay, but that's what my emotions tell me to do. And sort of the emotion sometimes is so powerful. It's it's the concept of chazar. Ahava mekarkeret etashua. Love sometimes is blinding. And that's that's why heaven was right. Because you're right. If you're going to go pure math, you're going to do one thing. But if you have heart and it's part of it and it's connected to it, oh, it's going to be a whole different picture. And the, and that's what we need to do. We need to make heart. We need to have yeah. heart and we need to have our actions dictated in that Absolutely. There's our hearts. But it will dictate the actions. And that's why I was going back to the Sefer HaChinuch. The whole idea of the Sefer HaChinuch was to instill, understand why you're doing it. Of course, not seven ishma. We're gonna do it if we don't understand. That's that's the heart of who we are. But uh, but at the end of the day, when you understand and you have a passion for it, you're going to do it a lot better. Hundred percent. There is still a nishma, even <laughs> though there's a naseh. Beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> amazing. Very, very big chizuk inspiration. Very, very powerful words, and um, a lot of gems. We have a, a custom minhag of one final message. For our broad audience, uh, Rabbi Dahan Shlita. Final message. Um, I'd like take to share a, a takeaway. One important lesson that I saw that's a, a little bit longer than a sentence. Sure. But, but uh, the, the message comes to a point from Shim'i ben Gera. There was a man in the times of Shlomo Amelech. Shlomo Amelech had a rabbi. His name was Shim'i ben Gera. Right. And Shim'i ben Gera was... Uh, a, a big tzaddik happens to be. He was the great-great-grandfather of Mordechai, of Esther. Great, great man. 
But he had a certain assumption about David HaMelech, which was incorrect. He thought David HaMelech wasn't a tzaddik. David HaMelech was really close to God. So he made a mistake, and he needed to be punished for it. So what does Shlomo HaMelech do? In his wisdom, he says, Shimi ben Gera, you're going to remain in Yerushalayim. And you're going to stay here, and you're not allowed to leave. If you leave, it's under the penalty of death. He told it to him point blank. And Shimi accepted. He said, yes, what's, what's better than Yerushalayim? Hmm. Now, three years later, Shimi ben Gera ended up leaving Yerushalayim and mm-hmm. being executed by Shlomo HaMelech. This was one of the things that Shlomo HaMelech did with his immense wisdom. The commentaries say, how did he know? How did he get that Shimi ben Gera is going to try to escape the confines of, of these walls? And, um, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a smart man, but he's the Ruach HaKodesh. Is, is astounding to, to be able to figure that out. And Rav Chaim Shulevitz adds a question also. He says, wait a second, why didn't he go ahead and uh, tell him he's under the penalty of death? If you want him to violate, you shouldn't tell him that. Right. So he explains, and he, he asks another question. He says, there's another person that had a mitzvah to remain in Yerushalayim. The Rambam writes, the Kohen Gadol mm. had a mitzvah to remain in Yerushalayim. And we never find that Kohen Gadol had any difficulties mm. Even today, by yeah. the way, there are people that never have left Yerushalayim. I know many tzaddikim are being, I'm inviting them to America, come, sure and big. No, not we don't, they'll we don't stay leave. in Yerushalayim forever. Yeah, that's right. and so it's not that hard. So how does he figure that Shim Ibn Gad is going to mess up on this? And the answer is very simple. And this is an important lesson, parenting in, in almost every relationship. That Shim Ibn Gira was locked in Yerushalayim. It was imposed upon him to mm-hmm. be in Yerushalayim. And it was imposed with heavy chains under the penalty of death. And therefore, he's constricted. He's confined. A, a human being can never feel confined. The minute he feels confined, there's a burning urge to break through. The Kohen Gador, he's also confined, though. But no. It's Tifalto Vichevodo. He understands. It's my honor and my prestige that doesn't allow me to leave. The president is also not able to go wherever he wants. The Secret Service has to do an investigation, and they have to do clear the path and sweeps and all these things. But he understands it's because I'm the president. He doesn't view it as a restriction. Mm-hmm. He views it as something that opens him up. It's, it's my grandeur and my greatness and my dignity to be limited. And our job is to make the Torah not the command of Shlomo Amelech, the king in position, but rather... The Kohen Gador and the beauty and the appreciation. And that takes effort, it takes depth, it takes analyzing ourselves and understanding ourselves, because how else are we going to give over? But that's the sort of the mission that we in Ami Said have in the 21st century, mm-hmm. in where we are today, mm-hmm. in this uh, country, mm-hmm. and in Western civilization in general. That is really what needs to be mm-hmm. the focus and the, and the priority. And when we shift to that direction, then we'll start seeing. A great nation reemerge from ashes of pogroms and holocausts and a lot of persecution that we've been through. Amazing, Rabbi Lear Dahan. What an amazing final message. Loved every single word. Very powerful. A million, a billion percent true. We got it. Make Judaism. Uh, I guess for lack of better words, great again. <laughs> 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 to restore the crown to its glory. 
Shikach Avdan, continue spreading the light, doing the great work that you do. Uh, we want to thank our amazing audience, our amazing team over here, Natan Behar, Natan Abov, Rabbi Abov, Mir, Markel, the whole team over here at Chazak, the, all the work that we do, Baruch Hashem, continue to do, until the Gula comes. We want to remind our audience, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Tuesday nights, Chazak Torah Talks with special guests. Baruch Hashem, we've had so many amazing episodes, so many amazing, inspiring messages. And uh, shout out to Torah Anytime and uh, all the platforms and podcasts that are hosting uh, Torah Talks. And daily giving, a dollar a day goes a very far away. We encourage everyone to check that out as well. And Bezat Hashem, we should all be so to see the Geulah Shlema. The complete redemption should come by Amen. 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 Am